We did it again, man. We we still <laughs> haven't got arrested. <laughs> and, 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 and our guest is still here. Our guest is still here. Our guest, he's yeah. still here. He must have the door locked. He can't get out. Okay, well, we're going to get to this guest in a second, Matt. But hey, hey, Matt, are you ready for this one? Are you, yeah. you ready for this word? Are you ready? I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I just said. <laughs> oh, okay, here we go. Ready? Holly, hydroxy, alkanoates. Oh my God! Yes, yes. Let let me say it again. Poly hydroxy alkanoate. Matt, that's nine syllables. Nine <laughs> syllables. For me, that's a record, man. That's a record. Where I come from, you get above three syllables, people start to think you're being uppity, you know. Or in Belgium and Flanders, you're called a dickenack. But nine syllables, man. And and I actually even understand a little bit what what it is, but. But that, that's that's what we're going to talk about here tonight. And uh, we'll narrow it down to PHA. Uh, and, and, and Matt, today, uh, we're so lucky to, to have, have a guy here today. We'll get into getting to know him here. His name is Brad, Brad Rogers. Uh, and he's with a company called Danimir Scientific. Uh, they're the leader of these, uh, these type of polymers, PHAs. Uh, and Brad Rogers, he's the vice president of innovation at this company. Uh, and and uh, there's other connections that we have with Brad that we'll get into in a minute. But I'm so excited to have, have the opportunity to talk about this tonight and to be able to talk about a nine-syllable word. Uh, who knows, maybe we sing it at the end of the, of the podcast, Mike. So uh, welcome, Brad. Hey, hello, Matt, John. Uh, great to be here with you guys today. Thanks so much for having me. Hi Brad, thanks thanks for being with us tonight. And I, before before we start, I don't want to screw it, John. I know nine syllables is long, but I live in Germany. So <laughs> that's a good that's point. like <laughs> that's like every yeah that's like yes. every second word has nine syllables or yes yeah normally up to fifteen or something like this. Yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah indeed it's all relative. <laughs> and and my wife my wife she's Hungarian that's even worse. Uh, okay it's all relative matt uh, brad and i you'll get into we're both from arkansas like i said to trust me nine syllables it's a big deal man <laughs> so that so this must be a small world then if you're both from arkansas john oh man it is a, it is a small world after all as as i think i've heard someone else coin that before it really is and and uh, you know you know uh, uh, our interest in as plastic climate future you know what we talk about our three pillars uh, and, and the, the things that we want to shine a light on to, uh, I mean, uh, Danimer Scientific, what they're doing, and Brad will get into it, it's, it's just right on it. And it just so happens, truly by just good good uh, coincidence, uh, Brad and I, we live on different continents for the past 30 or 40 years, perhaps. Uh, but we went to high school together in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Uh, and, and, and it's not because of that that we're connecting tonight. It's It's... In spite of that, I mean, it's just we we we, we our, our 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 paths are crossed again, and I'm so I'm so delighted about that, you know, to have a, have that, and and I'm I'm going to be quiet here uh, and and turn the ball over uh, and, and ask Brad to just tell him a little bit about himself, and uh, 
Welcome, Brad. Uh, tell us about yourself a little bit before we get into, uh, uh, indeed, the nine-syllable word. <laughs> sure, sure. No, John, it's true. Uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to, uh, to grow up in Arkansas and uh, fortunate enough to uh, go to school and get my early education there. I, uh, I quickly left the state, though, and, and got my uh, formal degree from, uh, from Missouri, uh, and then uh, got to Texas as quickly as I could. I love telling people that I'm not a native born Texas a Texan, but I've been here uh, for the better part of uh, 35 years of my career. Uh, and if you're going to work in the chemical industry in the United States, mm -hmm. uh, Texas is a great place to be. It's certainly where a lot of action does take place. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm located now in the, the northern part of Texas, uh, the Dallas region. And uh, it's a fast booming, fast growing area, a wonderful place to, uh, to live. And I'm, I'm very fortunate to, uh, to be a part of this community here. That's super. Yeah, I mean, uh, and tell us a little bit about uh, Donovan, Donovan Scientific. Uh, uh, you know, how did you come to, to, uh, to, to work with Donovan Scientific? And, uh, you know, what, what's your connection uh, uh, to, to uh, yeah, what, you, what you've done uh, over the years and, and to, to Donimer Scientific. Sure. No, no. I, I've been very lucky to work with Danimer for, uh, gosh, probably over 15 plus years. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually uh, began working full time for them uh, just two years ago. Uh, mm -hmm. but, but I've had the pleasure of working with them uh, for well over 15 years. I met them um, when I was actually working in um, long term research for uh, PepsiCo, Frito-Lay division of oh, PepsiCo. Wow. Mm -hmm. And um, part of one, one of my uh, programs that I was working on was trying to find the next generation of, of packaging materials mm -hmm. uh, that can be used for uh, for snack food packaging. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I uh, scouted a lot of different companies. And, and one of the companies I came across was Danimer uh, Scientific. And they were literally a, a very small company at this point in time. You know, mm -hmm. six or seven employees working out of a... Uh, uh, a trailer in the middle of a, uh, a peanut field in, in South Georgia. Uh, and, I, and I'm not kidding. I pulled yeah. up to the door. Uh, that's what I saw. And, and I thought, well, right, let's see what happens here. Uh, and I don't play, uh, but when I walked in and you meet the people, you realize that, you know, they had some really sharp people. They had mm -hmm. some good ideas. Yeah. Um, they had some great plans for where they were going to go to and, and what they were going to do to uh, to uh, innovate and develop these new uh, grades of, of bioplastic materials. Mm -hmm. um, so I kept an eye on them, you know, watched them. Um, and as they grew and, and became, uh, you know, a little bit more of a substantial uh, real live uh, company, um, uh, I decided it was a good opportunity for me to take the, the leap and, and get out of the big corporate world uh, and, and, and go to work for a small, smaller company and, and see if I couldn't help them uh, um, you know, realize their uh, their dreams of, of putting these materials into the marketplace and and um, you know helping people be able to use these materials appropriately, um, not only in the United States but but globally. Mm, mm, great. So just going back to the to the introduction um, because we said polyhydroxyl alkanoates PHA. So we're, we're talking. <laughs> Um, so we're talking about uh, polymers, right? So biopolymers. Um, and I assume, because I didn't get this one, but I assume that you must be also a chemist then or a chemical engineer by training. Yes, I have my degree, like I say, from University of Missouri at Rolla. Uh, minors. Uh, it's a, a small engineering slash science school. 
located in the central part of uh, Missouri. Uh, mm-hmm. My degree is actually in polymer chemistry. Uh, All right. So I've been involved in the world of polymers, you know, since I was in school. <laughs> wow, incredible. Brad, you know, what exactly are polyhydroxyalkanoids? I, I mean, uh, I, I'm going to hyperventilate with that non-syllable word, but you can tell me, help me. What what are they? What are they exactly? Well, polyhydroxyalkanoids or PHA, and PHA is a much easier way to say it. Okay. Um, they're actually a family of biopolymers. So it's not one particular polymer, it's a whole family, it's a whole classification of uh, bio-based polyester type resins. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they, they're produced in nature um, and, and they actually come in a, in a wide variety of different formats. Um, some of the names are also, you know, you know, quite lengthy. So uh, I'll throw out some other big words for <laughs> so there's, there's PH There's PHP, which is a poly three hydroxypropanate. Uh, there is a PHB, which is polyhydroxybutyrate, uh, PHB, polyhydroxyvalerate, uh, uh, and, uh, and then PHX, just kind of, you know, a whole host of different uh, uh, length chains, uh, polyhydroxyhexanoate. Uh, so actually, you've got this whole great big family of, of polymers that are part of it. And, uh, and, and what we try to do is mix and match and find the right ones that will produce the, uh, the right properties that we're looking for for various applications. You know, um, uh, maybe a flashback here, but, uh, you know, uh, to, to our earlier days, you know, back in the, uh, back in the day, you know, I think, I think that, that Brad is either speaking in tongues or, or we need to take what he's saying and play it backwards and see if there's a hidden message there. <laughs> 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 really impressive. I mean, I, I mean, I'm playing, I'm playing around here, but, but, uh, wow. I mean, the, uh, the technologies that, that you're involved with, you know, uh, all, all kidding aside with the words. And, uh, I mean, it, it's so, so, uh, yeah, uh, innovative, uh, to put it, to put it mildly, the, the work that's been done to develop these PHAs, these type of biopolymers that, that you guys have, have, have developed. And, uh, you know, I mean, the story goes back to uh, doing a little bit of research uh, uh, on uh, Danamere Scientific before tonight. Uh, I understand it goes all the way back to 2007 when you started the company, when the company was started uh, with, with technology coming from uh, one of the, uh, well, the world leading uh, brand of, of Procter & Gamble. Uh, I mean, is how, how, did, how did you guys uh, begin? And can you tell us a little bit about the journey of from from the beginning to where you are today, the journey uh, of of developing this technology and developing a whole new market and applications and all the work that's been involved with uh, uh, getting uh, the, the, these world leading brand owners like uh, PepsiCo, Frito Lay, as you mentioned, uh, on board and bought in. I mean, uh, that 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 is you know uh, a really really impressive story and, and important to to. Uh, to, to know something about that. Can you, can you tell us about that a little bit? Sure. Sure. No, uh, PHA is, um, um, it's been around for, for a very, very long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the companies that did do some early research and trying to develop the, uh, uh, the manufacturing process and the, and the technique for, for, uh, producing uh, specific grades of PHA was PNG. And Dr. Mm-hmm. Noda was, uh, was, uh, one of the leading fellows, uh, working for PNG at that point in time. Uh, early in his career and and spent a large portion of his time, you know, developing these materials. Um, and 
you know, once once they kind of got into a point where you know it was it was uh, you know good technology, uh, P and G was not going to be in the chemical industry, so they they shelved it um, in hopes that they would find a suitable you know purchaser of that uh, technology. Uh, Danimer came along and, and was able to uh, secure the rights uh, for the, that technology, and we became the sole um, uh, exclusive licensors of that uh, the, what's known as the Nodax uh, technology, mm-hmm. named after Dr. Noda. Um, mm-hmm. So um, we, we took that technology, uh, and then what we did is spent a number of years, um, you know, from those early days, um, you know, really just trying to figure out you know, how to, how to scale this up, how to take it from the bench scale uh, concepts mm-hmm. and build a pilot facility uh, that we could then turn into a commercial facility. Um, and along the way, we developed some, uh, some really good relationships uh, with, with major brand owners. One of those being PepsiCo, that was one of the early uh, partners uh, that came into the fold. And, and that's, that was very instrumental in helping the, uh, the company, uh, you know, focus its efforts on where we were going to develop the technology for what particular applications we were going to be uh, zooming in on. Um, and um, what we wanted to, um, you know, again, what was needed was was the ability to take the technology from the bench scale mm-hmm. all the way up to something that would be commercially viable. And, and those relationships helped, uh, you know, uh, drive some of that research work. It also helped fund some of that research work that it was able to uh, bring uh, that technology forward. Uh, Danimer spent a lot of time developing the, the various strains of, um, of uh, microbes that would grow the various types of PHA materials. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, selecting those microbes and then you know growing those specific microbes under the right set of conditions in the re- reactors mm-hmm. um, is really where we we focused our technology development, and that's kind of where we we. Um, are, you know, what separates us out is we're able to specifically produce the, the right types of PHA uh, under the right set of conditions at very large scale now um, so that we can then uh, meet the needs for various applications that these materials might go into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just for the non-chemists in uh, in our audience, <laughs> so what we're talking about, right, is is actually a, a wonderful technology. I think this is something that we have to point out because we're making a plastic out of a renewable resource, like a bioplastic, which is produced by living organisms. And uh, it's also, as I know, biodegradable in the end, right? So is right. it just like the you managed to, to, to get the holy grail of the plastics yeah. industry? And uh, I mean, it sounds wonderful, but... Of course, we know that it's it's uh, there is probably a lot of challenges to scale these these kind of technologies up. Um, but what are the, the the most promising applications then at the moment? So what what are you now already producing, or or which which uh, fields of uh, applications are you already serving? Sure. Um, well, you know, Danimer was founded on the belief that. Um, um, that, you know, most plastic products that are intended for a very short period of, of, of life, uh, mm-hmm. consumer product goods, you know, you put a product in the market and within six to 12 months, the consumers, you know, bought the product, consumed the product, no longer needs the package. But then the package sticks around for, for you know, decades or even centuries mm-hmm. after that. Um, so we're founded on the belief that, that, you know, those types of packaging products that, that are intended for short-term use, 
should have a, a biopolymer that would be biodegradable and actually disappear at some point in time, not persist in the environment, should it be lost to the environment, uh, incidentally. Mm. Um, yeah. And, and, and isn't then everyone jumping on this technology now? Because it, it sounds like it's going to solve all the plastic waste problems. And the fossil-based fuel uh, resource problems. <laughs> Well, it's not a solution for everything, uh, but but it certainly has its. Uh, I think it's uh, you know applications that it can certainly be a, a potential solution for, without a doubt. You know, nature produced uh, produces a PHA, and it's been producing PHA since microbes have been on this planet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually a, a fuel source, a, an energy source that uh, microbes produce inside their body, like we might store mm-hmm. fat when mm-hmm. when we're eating too much. Microbes, will, when they eat too much uh, of the fatty acids that they consume, um, will will actually store PHA as a, a future energy source. Um, and what we've done is we figure out how to extract that out of these uh, microbes and then turn that into a, a useful material for turning, you know, for, for uh, various packaging applications. Um, the um, and because because it comes from microbes and is seen as a fuel source, other microbes also see it as a readily available fuel source. So if it does wind up lost in the environment, incidentally, you know, microbes will find it. They'll they'll look at it as food and they'll eat it up. Um, so what are the applications that can be uh, useful for this? I mean, things that are uh, that are intended for short periods of use. Um, you know, straws, for instance, uh, yeah. drinking straws, uh, cutlery that's uh, utilized in in disposable application, plastic cutlery. Um, those are all things that are going to you know you know be contaminated with food. Uh, and when they're when the consumers finished utilizing that particular product, they're going to want to throw the uh, the food waste along with you know the uh, uh, the devices that they're using to eat the food with or drink the, the beverage with into a uh, container. Would be nice if that whole container could just go right to a compost facility. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then it makes sense for those types of products. So you know, food service trays, cutlery, straws. Those items uh, are going to be, you know, intended for a very short period of life, um, and are going to be contaminated with food. Why not have those go right to a, a compost facility where the food waste would go naturally, anyways? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think this is brilliant, you know. And also, I mean, what what I would add to that would be in the event uh, that that uh, in, in spite of uh, the collection that you just described, that 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 can be implemented. Uh, in the event that there is uh, leakage to the environment, uh, the attribute of the biodegradability uh, really kicks in. And, and uh, uh, Matt and I have talked uh, before uh, in Plastic Climate Future. If you go to our website, we talk about the R's. You know, you got the three R's. You know, we, we kind of riffed and added a couple of more uh, called replace and remove. You know, and, and the remove part that we added. Is, is specifically highlighting uh, biopolymers like PHA because uh, of the of the of the, uh, the the fact that they have the attribute of biodegradability uh, as a natural attribute, uh, not by additives or whatever. Uh, and, and and in the event it leaks to the environment, that attribute becomes a, a, a valuable, uh, yeah, um, characteristic of that of that material. I think that's one of the really Cool things uh, about about PHA. Uh, something that I would like to, to ask, you know, uh, uh, I, I think biopolymers are, are just a great piece of the solution, you know. And if I go back uh, 
say, say even as recently as maybe two and a half years ago, in the early days uh, of Matt and I uh, becoming uh, friends, uh, you know, I was I was really looking at biopolymers uh, and, and looking at, uh, uh, if you will, the, the larger footprint of, of the fossil based plastics that are made. And, and you know, as you know, one percent, right, one percent. Uh, of of all the the plastics that are that are made uh, on an annual basis uh, today are are, are bio uh, plastics uh, and and what what strikes me about that is 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 at the beginning of, of my career in the plastics industry in the you know uh, mid to late nineteen eighties when I was you know just three years old uh, 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 was was it was about a hundred million metric tons annual capacity back then uh, and. Uh, at back then, I did the research about you know less than one percent uh, were bioplastics, uh, and then I, I did the research where every ten years I looked at it, and what I found is you know the total keeps on increasing. The relative percentage basically remains the same. So yes, bioplastics are increasing, but but they're not cert they're certainly not increasing in a way that uh, they're really tackling uh, displacing fossil based. In, 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 in a certain sense, I used to be really upset about that and saying, well, OK, you know, uh, but but then I realized, you know, you got to start, you know, it's like look at chemical recycling. You know, you can criticize that. You know, that's another thing that I'm interested in, uh, that it doesn't scale up and solve the problem universally. But but what I've realized over the past years, Brad, is it's a portfolio of solutions. You know that 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 are that are involved here, and and yeah, okay, you got PHA, you got other biopolymers. Uh, I mean, you, you know, uh, it would be great to see you guys scale and be able to take ten percent of the total, or even more in the coming years. Uh, uh, but but even if it stays at, at, at a smaller percentage, it's still a part of the solution. And it took me a while to to to, to get to this uh, where I am today. All that being said, Brad, I mean. Yeah, this is your world, man. You know biopolymers uh, much better than I ever will. You know this market, this industry. Uh, I mean, it, it, will biopolymers uh, ever really grow and really start taking uh, a real chunk out of of, of the total uh, amount, uh, or or will they not? And and really, does it matter? I mean, it, it's growing. It, it, it's solving a problem today, uh, and combined with all the other. Uh, bags, uh, trick, uh, things that we have as bags, uh, you know, uh, uh, tricks in our bag of chemical recycling and other recycling technologies, other solutions. Uh, I mean, is it enough? Sorry, that was a big, long winded, uh, <laughs> but uh, we'll cut most of that. But there's some something in there that's worth listening to. Sure. Uh, no, absolutely. Um, well, it's a good it's a good it's a good thought process. Uh, you know, and it's tough to say where these things are all headed. Um, yeah, but I will say that you know, the, um, the conventional plastics industry um, is funded and supported by large uh, multinational uh, oil and chemical companies uh, with names like Dow and Exxon and, and, and Chevron, um, companies that you and I have had the pleasure of, you know, working, you know, with and for. And, and these our are our friends, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, they're, and they're good people and, and they do a fantastic job. Uh, of driving the uh, the scale and the production of these materials mm -hmm. uh, very efficiently. Um, it, you know, biopolymers have been traditionally uh, relegated to, uh, you know, small group of innovative, uh, you know, smaller companies, uh, startup companies, uh, Danaber being one of those, uh, literally, um, you know, a, a handful of people working in a, in a small laboratory to grow, grow a business. 
Um, but, you know, one of the things I have seen in the past few years is, and maybe this is a trend that's coming down the road, is, is some of these large chemical companies are putting some time and effort and, and, and investments into these biopolymers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. You know, BASF, uh, the world's largest chemical company, um, you know, certainly made some investments a number of years ago in a, uh, a fossil-based biodegradable polymer known as PBAT. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that has certainly been a very useful material and it's finding a lot of applications. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now we're starting to see other companies coming into the fold. Uh, LG Chemical, which is very, very large uh, traditional chemical company uh, making, you know, materials like polyethylene and polypropylene at very, very large scale has now thrown their hat in the ring. And as uh, you know, they're starting up a PBAT plant right now, uh, this year, um, and they've made plans and made announcements to start up a PA, PLA plant, which is another mm-hmm. bio-based uh, biodegradable polymer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's coming on stream in 2025. And who knows where it'll go from there. But it's nice to see that these large chemical companies are now jumping into the ring, yeah. uh, take some of this innovation forward, and use their, you know, finances, their their skill sets, their uh, their their large capability to help grow these uh, this industry. So yeah. yeah, I'd like to see it grow. I hope it does. Um, you know, I certainly want to be a part of it, um, and I hope Danimer can uh, can help lead that way. Um, but it'll take more than just us doing it. It's going to take other, uh-huh. you know, people to come into the game. It's going to take other finances to come into the game. Uh, as you know, chemical plants are not cheap. Uh, it's a lot of steel, a lot of pipes, a lot of uh, uh, process equipment, uh, and none of that stuff is cheap. <laughs> yeah, um, I think you, you you brought up a good point here because uh, now it's also from from the perspective of circularity commitments are driving also the bigger players to look into these innovative technologies. And I think it's a very positive sign that we we see companies like BASF Dow also investing into these uh, bio-based uh, technologies. And I, I because I come from, uh, from the circularity space, I certainly see a lot of potential in closing certain resource loops um, especially dependent on, on on the right application where you where you um, yeah implement these kind of solutions. But there are still like a lot of challenges. Um, and we've talked to, to a lot of innovators already also in the field of bioplastics and biopolymers and they see certainly the, chances uh, using bio-based and biodegradable polymers to to in the future really close the loop or, or really have circularity in plastics. Um, how do you or how do you experience challenges already today in implementing circularity with these bio-based solutions and and uh, do you think there are still a lot of obstacles to overcome? Oh, absolutely. There are, uh, you know, people get used to utilizing, uh, the conventional materials that, uh, that they've been, you know, utilizing for, for decades now, since the, since the forties, since the, uh, the growth of the, uh, the conventional plastics industry. Um, you know, it, it took, it took decades for that, for those materials to become so mainstream, 
you know, if you go back in time, uh, you, know, you didn't have a plastic toothbrush or a, uh, or a plastic comb. You had natural materials or, you know, yeah. wood or, or, uh, or, or bone or something that, that could be used for those applications. All that's been replaced with plastic. Uh, you know, you can hardly, you know, touch or, or, or walk around your house or, or get into your car. You know, you, there's nothing you can you can put your hands on or, or, or touch your feet to that, that doesn't contain some type of plastic material. It just becomes so mainstream in everything we do. Um, so, yes, but it's taken decades to get to that point. Um, uh, the biopolymer world is, is certainly growing, uh, but it'll, it'll certainly take decades for it to uh, become mainstream like that. As, as, as companies are starting to work with these materials, and they're and they're trying to replace conventional materials with uh, with uh, bio-based materials. There's always hurdles. I mean, there's never a one-for-one drop-in. Um, you know, we have to uh, spend a lot of time, and this is certainly where I I get involved quite a bit with uh, with our customers is trying to help them understand how do these materials differ? How are they the same? How do they work in their uh, current uh, production processes? Their current extrusion processes for manufacturing. Uh, you know, say an injection molded part or a blown film or or some other type of application that, that this material may go into, it's still got a process through uh, equipment that they have on hand mm-hmm. uh, that they're used to running traditional materials like polyethylene or polypropylene through. So how do they how do they make this material work in those applications? Um, and we try to design the polymer so that it will you know process and and work as close as possible to those conventional materials. Mm-hmm. But there's always going to be some give and take that you have to uh, to, to uh, sacrifice and, and you have to kind of work within the parameters of what the polymer is capable of actually, uh, you know, delivering. Um, so we help people find those answers and we help them uh, find ways to utilize it in their particular application. And, and then once they get used to utilizing it, it will become the mainstream product. And that's what I've been seeing over the past uh, few years of working with uh, certain customers. As people become more and more familiar with it, it becomes, you know, just like getting up in the morning and brushing your teeth. You know, it becomes something you can do, you know, without even thinking about it. You just know how to do it. Um, and it's the uh, it's the same thing that happens here. Is once they they get more and more used to running these materials, it becomes, um, you know, very second nature to them, and they. Uh, and they're able to process the, the materials on the conventional equipment mm-hmm. um, with no issues. Yeah, I'm very happy that you say that because I think this is what we are uh, many times also uh, discussed with John that uh, in the end, when it uh, when you look at the percentage of biopolymers today and a couple of decades ago, it's, uh, it's, it's just 1%. But when we look at the percentage of plastics when they were introduced into the industry, they also were just 1% of uh, other materials that they replace today. Um, And I think also in terms of uh, uh, the the processability and technology that you need to, um, for, for, yeah, that you need to invest into or modify in order to use the materials in the same way that you're used to. This is something also that is probably connected to directing the right investments uh, or directing investments into into innovation and into these technologies. Um, and I think at least here in Europe, there's a lot of um, yeah, pressure uh, being exerted on the industry also through regulations. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see do you see this as a leverage um, to to push biopolymers more into the market? 
Um, or do you think it's gonna it's gonna come also with with education and, and changing the mindset uh, of of consumers? Sure. Now, legislation is a uh, uh, certainly one way to drive change, um, and Europe has done a really good job of of helping uh, to drive uh, you know change towards a recycling based economy. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly, have done that over the past couple of decades through uh, EPR um, uh, schemes. Um, you know, collecting that fund, that money through, you know, products that are being put into the market. Uh, the, uh, the brand owners have to pay an extra amount. Mm -hmm. uh, that money then goes into pools that then helps drive uh, investments into uh, uh, recovery equipment. And, uh, and they've built up a large infrastructure uh, for, for doing that throughout many parts of Europe. Mm -hmm. um, certainly Germany, Switzerland, um, yeah. you know, the Netherlands have done a really good job of implementing, uh, um, you know, these take back these recovery systems, you know, so that they can take back pretty much all of the uh, the plastic waste uh, from packaging materials back into the uh, the recovery centers and then separate it out uh, through uh, very fancy high tech equipment uh, so that, that it can be then, you know, put back into, um, you know, products uh, for reuse again. Um, but that came with a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of investment. And Europe's a very rich, you know, region of the world. Uh, contrast that with other parts of the world um, that haven't had EPR programs in place, um, and and probably won't be able to uh, to put the level of EPR in place, um, you know, like uh, like Europe has. Um, you know, there's going to have to be other systems that come into place to be able to work. And I think legislation is will help drive, you know, the direction maybe differently. In other parts of the world, I think Southeast Asia uh, will certainly uh, uh, be an area of the world where, uh, you know, composting uh, of the food waste is going and maybe anaerobic biodigestion of the food waste is going to be a, a large uh, hurdle that they need to tackle. It's a problem. There's a lot of food waste. They need to collect that. It can't go into landfills because they don't have space for the landfills. Um, so it needs to be collected and, and either composted or, uh, or anaerobically biodigested. The packaging that comes with those materials should fit right in with the food waste, okay? Uh, so that there's no confusion, there's no problem with being able to put it all into one of those two types of, of biological recycling systems. Um, the U.S., um, you know, is is driven by different uh, schemes versus, uh, um, e you know, EPR. We don't really have much of that in place, although there are some proposed legislation coming down the uh, uh, the pike, uh, um, in states like California and Vermont um, that are going to be more um, open-minded to that. That may help drive some of that uh, investment into both recycling and composting because you see both of those on the table. Um, and I think as, as those infrastructures uh, develop, uh, you'll see an increased uh, need for recycling and certain packages and certain products should be recycled uh, and they, should, they just need to be recycled more. Um, and then other packages, you know, that maybe are a better fit for the composting infrastructure, but the composting infrastructure needs to develop uh, so that it can take those materials back and, and appropriately handle them. Yeah, I think it's it's a good point that you just mentioned that we need actually to scale these solutions. Uh, it's legislation does a good thing if it addresses scaling the infrastructure and the ecosystem for these solutions to work. Correct. Uh, 
if I could just interject here, I mean, something you brought up that, that I find fascinating and sometimes tend to overlook being, being rather Eurocentric uh, in my focus uh, for, for obvious reasons. Uh, indeed, Brad, you just listed a few, uh, a number of things that, that really are, are really, really hitting home. Uh, that this geographical uh, deployment of, of, of solutions uh, in function of the, the geographical situation, the infrastructure and so on, uh, is is really interesting. I mean, indeed, here in Europe, uh, the development of, of of EPR schemes coming first out of Germany and going outwards. You know, uh, 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 you know, indeed, how that's part of what what helps uh, to be part of the solution in Europe. You know, uh, and and also, I mean, uh, when it comes to uh, bioplastics and biodegradability, I know I know you know this. Uh, but if you go to like industrial composting units here in Belgium, uh, when it comes to certain biopolymers, they'll say we, we don't want them because, yeah, they biodegrade, but they're still biodegrading too slowly for our industrial composting. I don't know if that PHA falls in that category. I don't think so. But, but uh, you know, what, what I would have thought in Europe, OK, bio, biodegradable plastics are a great thing. Here in Europe, uh, by some, they're seen as potentially, you know, uh, uh, not being uh, suitable. Uh, and there's all kinds of, uh, of discussions and reasoning. And so on. I don't know if I am capable to, to really say what, what is the right answer. But, but you, you kind of rise above it all to me and, and say, well, hey, certain, geogra certain geographies, uh, geographies, excuse me, it makes sense. Others, it makes less sense. Uh, and, and indeed, you talk about different parts of the world where you have a lot of just the combining of the food waste with the packaging that goes along with it. Uh, and, and this balance of, OK, do you sort things out and take it from there or do you let it degrade? Uh, I mean, it's, it's a lot more of a, yeah, um, a thoughtful approach than, than, than just me coming from uh, one geography. No, you're right. I mean, I've had the, I've had the pleasure um, of, of traveling the globe. I've been. Uh, on, on every continent uh, in, in the world, except for Antarctica, and that's that's on my to-do list. All right. Uh, so, uh, got to get there. But uh, but I have had the pleasure of visiting every continent and and multiple times, and and getting to see uh, you know the infrastructure differences uh, that exist. And when you get to parts of um, of, uh, of Asia and and uh, uh, India and other countries, I mean, when you go to a landfill. I mean, it's it's not a landfill like you see in, in, say, the United States, where it's very well managed. It's a big giant hole in the ground and 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 lined, and 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 people are piling in the uh, the appropriate waste, uh, you know, and, and collecting it, and, and it has very little chance of of leaking into the environment. You go to some of these facilities, and it's literally just a big pile of trash, and they tried to push it over into a corner. Well, a lot of times those corners turns out to be near a creek or or some other type of uh, uh, you know uh, waterway, and 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 as you keep pushing that pile, it you know it eventually falls into that <laughs> creek, and then and then those waste winds up going down the creek and into the the rivers and into the oceans, and and then this is why we have some of these uh, these large amounts of plastics that are that are leaking into the world. Um, that's really the source of a lot of these. So. So finding and, and and it's driven by the fact that there's so much consume so many consumers that are buying so much packaged goods, their foods and their and their materials that they use every day uh, are in a in a plastic package, but they don't have the infrastructure to be able to handle it. So 
you know, do you go and fix that infrastructure and put all that into place uh, to match what's going on in Europe and maybe parts of the United States? Or do you redesign the, uh, the, 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 um, the package itself at the front end so that it works better with the infrastructures that they have uh, the capability of actually producing? And that really becomes a big systematic question. <laughs> Dare I say it may be a type of material leapfrogging. Yep, <laughs> you know, yep. Over to you, Matt. <laughs> I certainly agree. I think this is this is that's why that's why in order to also drive many of these circular solutions, it's it needs to a system change. So you need not only to bring up new isolated technologies or isolated activities, but it, it needs to come with the infrastructure, with the legislation, with a change of mindset. Um, and I think this is what, what you also described with, uh, it's going to take some time until we, you know, adopt also new behaviors and, and uh, yeah, leave those that we were accustomed to for so many decades and, and be able to, to open up for yeah, a new way of uh, yeah brushing our teeth, as you said. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's great. I um, I think we can probably continue talking about uh, uh, the infrastructure and ecosystems needed to to uh, scale uh, the bio-based polymers uh, over the one percent um, as quickly as possible. Because I, I think we all believe in in the benefits, and and we see also the potential when it comes to closing material loops, uh, saving CO two emissions. Um, and uh, of course, uh, minimizing the, the the waste problems that we have with plastics. Um, but in, in in view of time, uh, we still have one more question that we we cannot leave you without asking this one. Um, because we have a plastic climate future playlist that we kind of fill with uh, the music that comes from from our guests um, and. Uh, Maybe John already pre-warned you that uh, we ask everyone <laughs> to name one or two songs uh, that, uh, yeah, are should should be dedicated to this plastic climate future playlist. They can have something to do with with uh, our topics, of course, uh, or uh, can be something very personal, or just simply something that you think. The world needs uh, listening to more often. Just some good music, and Brad, I know you got good taste, so let's hear it. <laughs> uh, thank you, thank you for asking, and appreciate that uh, compliment as well. Uh, I'm certainly a big fan of, of music, and it certainly uh, has a big meaning in my uh, my life. Um, um, you know, one of the songs that came out recently, uh, Sting, uh, one of Sting's recent albums, um, featured a song on it called "One Fine Day." Uh, which I, uh, oh, yeah. the first time I heard it, I, I really, it really struck a chord. Uh, the song talks about, uh, you know, the issues of global warming and, and, uh -huh. uh, and pollution and, and what are we doing to fix it? And, and to borrow a line from it, um, I, I, I hope that one day we will all wake up smarter one fine day. Beautiful, beautiful. We'll give it a try, man. We'll definitely try. You know, man, Matt, what a great recommendation. You know, I, I have to just say, uh, you know, for, uh, on behalf of well, myself and, and Matt and Plastic Climate Future, Brad, uh, we, you know, we wish you, uh, we wish Dynamo Scientific uh, uh, success moving forward because it, it's important. 
you know it's important. You wouldn't be doing it if, if you didn't think it was important. But we're, we're, we're just wanting to echo that. We agree with you. We want to shine a light uh, on, on, on people like you uh, and, and companies like Donamir Scientific uh, for the positive difference that you guys are making. Uh, exactly what we want to shine a light on. And thank you for, for your time today. Uh, and, uh,